0: and it's about time for true crime hey hey how are you good how are you i'm just doing very lovely thank you ah well happy tuesday um today i am doing okay how about you how are you doing
1: i'm doing all right i mean we're just living the dream it's true we're like keeping our fingers crossed that winter just kind of goes smoothly and i want a snow day so fucking bad can i just say that i want a snow day i know I miss like being a kid and getting snow days and
0: my gosh we just went to the same place but have you heard that because of all the zoom stuff people did for covid they're like getting away with no snow days now for kids yeah what a fucking bummer
1: they had round tabled the idea when I was in school I feel like for little bags that you would Mm -hmm. have so it was like even if there's no school here's all your homework and it was this mandatory you have to read this chapter you have to do whatever it was things they could give you anyway yeah and I'm like can you just let kids throw on snow pants and have snowball fights? Like I know. Like snowball fights? They're okay. You don't have to shove this down their throat right now. That was fun. It's two degrees out. And you play with food coloring and like make yeah. little designs in the- and little like buttons on your little snowman. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like color them, make like red ones and blue ones. I just love... We'll have- uh, I don't know. I loved the snowball
0: fights. I loved sledding. We had this like weird little hill in our backyard that we would try to make sledding hills down. It was not fun until you got like 20 times down the same one. So it was just you slick. You like, it down a little bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it was not a huge hill so you'd have to like really scoot your boot the whole way. So it was oh. work but then we reaped that fucking
1: reward. <laughs> when I was in college uh, out there's like this wicked snowy day and we all went to walmart or something and got Mm -hmm. little like saucers like you know little sleds and just i don't know had a day yeah i was just oh i missed that (laughs) that was so fun i just uh, yeah i
0: want a snow day that's where my heart is right now
1: i want to do that and then come home and my mom had had something in the crock pot all day and you just like you know how you you do the one foot hop Mm-hmm. After you take one shoe off, you're like, I refuse to step on the snow that I just brought in the house. So yes. I will hop over here, somehow get the other shoe off, and then run upstairs, change into clothes that aren't wet, and then come back down, and have a nice crock pot meal. Yes. Those the days. Something hot,
0: made with love by somebody else. Yes. See, that's the thing. The You biggest, just sit down
1: and you're ready to eat. That's it.
0: It's true. <laughs> the biggest scam of adulting is having to figure out what to eat for dinner every day.
1: Oh, my God. And then I'm like, just I knowing you know. have to do it again tomorrow. Yeah. And the next day. And well, you know and what? It's going to fucking cost money. And it's like, again, the next day. And you're like, again. And the next day.
0: And honestly, I love big batch cooking, but I get bored so easily. I'm mm. like, I, listen, I liked this soup four days ago, but this is my fourth day.
1: <laughs> if I eat something more than like three days in a row, now yeah. I hate it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a hyper meal and then I'm, I'm fine.
1: No, I'll hate it. And then I'm like, I can't eat that for three years. That's it. <laughs> like there's no in between for me anymore. Equal trade off. Seriously. I'm like, okay, well, I have the palate of a 10 year old. So there's like eight, yeah, eight meals true. that i rotate between anyway so hey, if one I of them is out of like rotation like <laughs> then i'm just fucked
0: <laughs> yeah that's true you do have to keep it fresh funky fresh i i don't i'm not as limited but no you're better than me well in terms of trying new things but in terms of the things i want to eat like my toxic trait is i wonder if this thing that always makes me feel bad is going to make me feel bad today let's try again you're
1: like let me have mac and cheese yeah gluten and cheese <laughs> i know <laughs> The game is will Abby shit herself on the way home, and we've won all of them so far. But you also lose all of them if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all my right. God.
0: Um. Well, today is not going to be super great, so you guys should just kind of prep yourselves for that. Will it be super gory and like? Visual, no. Okay. But it's one of those that, like, the more I sat on it and the more I researched it and the more I looked into it, the harder it got to sit with.
1: Okay. So, what you're saying is, like, it's going to start bad, and then the middle's going to be bad. Mm hmm. And then the end's going to be bad. Yeah. And then after that is going to be worse. Okay. Do we get closure? No. Wow. Sorry. You just said get fucked, huh? Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, I didn't. I'm just telling mm, okay. you about, mm, Okay.
0: yeah, no, I really did say yeah, get fucked, really sorry. Yeah, you really did say get fucked.
1: <laughs> sorry. You said pound sand, kick I rocks, did. get fucked. So for those of you
0: who are listening, you already know that this is about the Las Cruces, New Mexico bowling alley massacre.
1: That sounds intense. Yeah. No, it's not good. Like bowling alley sounds fun. Mm-hmm massacre mm, that's not, so not so much it's like the covina christmas massacre it's like covina and christmas sound so pretty and, and then, then you add massacre and you're like ah. like that's one way to like sour a phrase yeah. you know what i'm saying
0: yeah it's like a real party foul
1: yeah it's just like <laughs> like it was better without it yeah like we could to just drop that off yeah just leave it there they could have left that at home yeah okay
0: But um, before we get into all of the shit, Mm -hmm. I just want to talk about why I chose this. Okay. Yes, which in a turn of the tables, Allie actually knows this, but you guys don't. Oh, I do know (laughs) this.
1: I know where this is going. So (laughs) I
0: wanted to talk (laughs) about a fun little time in my life before (laughs) I get there. (laughs) It initially caught my eye, obviously, because of where it was. But for those of you who don't know... um, when I was in high school, I was on a frigging varsity bowling team. <laughs> you got your
1: fucking varsity letter. <laughs> I did. I, I fucking lettered in high school. What did you have, like, stretches you had to do? or Like, do you have to, like, chalk oh, yeah. your hands beforehand? You're like, oh, yeah. going in, going in. Yeah. Put me in, coach.
0: <laughs> so, okay. Bowling was really fun, actually. um, I still oh, laughed at myself.
1: Like, okay, fully
0: in my notes, I said, Varsity Bowling Team Bajaha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, and I actually loved it. And it doesn't make me laugh really hard. But, like, yes. My own balls. My own shoes. <laughs> my own chalk. You
1: brought your own balls? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. No, I
0: have balls. <laughs> and I'm good with
1: them. Big old heavy balls? hmm
0: No, the biggest balls. One of them was blue. Damn, um, bitch. Ouch. What well, was blue and orange? <laughs> oh, God. Um, but, yeah. So, I joined... Initially, because it was a no-cut sport, and I had just broken my entire body from dance. That's true. And then I was, like, panicking because I have that good old generalized anxiety disorder, and I was like, no colleges will ever take me if I have one-month gap in my extracurriculars. Oh my and then I... They need to
1: see the chalk in my hands. I know. They need this is see- real to me. I'm <laughs> passionate. <laughs> no.
0: No, I did it because it was no-cut, and on the first day, I got a 34. <laughs> <laughs> I was
1: not good. Oh God,
0: <laughs> that wasn't when I was on varsity, guys. I got better.
1: <laughs> Wait, this was a multi-year thing. Oh
0: yeah, no, I bowled for three
1: years. Shut the fuck I up. I thought it was s- just like what you started in your senior year. Oh uh, no, 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 <laughs> no. Well, that changes things. Uh-huh. I love this.
0: So it was actually I loved it Um because it's just like the only sport you can do where you can do your sport and eat mozzarella sticks with the other hand
1: um to uh, be like um i know i'm making fun of you but truly i think that sounds like such a f- like a fun time it if was you were, like your friends are doing it like yeah we go to bowling alleys and like i don't know just get drinks and have fun it's like yeah you can't be good you can't be that bad you yeah. just have fun it's, i don't know
0: oh i was that bad for a while but it was it was funny
1: i was just gonna say that there's no way to have a bad time in a bowling alley yeah, well. and we're gonna i think we're gonna talk about sorry we but it's sure just like, are yeah that's You don't even have to play. You can just go and hang out and like have a good time. Well, and honestly,
0: like one of the reasons that I loved it so much was it was a fun connection to my aunt um, who had some tough cancer at the time. But like also, I don't know, like there even on like tournament days, like you're just spending your day bowling. Like it's fun. And then you get better and you're like, shit, this is fun because it all makes sense. It's just physics. Like it's just very logical math
1: and you're like oh well i guess that does make sense like, and even in the worst tournament it's like it's still just bowling yeah you still <laughs> walk away and you're like yeah my hands are just oily that's there's, fine there's like, no <laughs> scouts your junior year like who are we going to give a full ride to there are <laughs> there are <laughs> <laughs> there oh really God. are <laughs> no i'm still sick <laughs> don't do that to me no well, say like blatant lies <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> they no really. there are there really are i could have gotten like a good scholarship <laughs> how'd that work out for you i didn't go to a school with a bowling too. <laughs> d3 woo woo no we didn't have one at all period <laughs> zero and even if we did it probably would have been this nasty ass candle pin bowling and i'm not here for that shit so is that the smaller ones yeah that's like adult those ski the, ball those are the only ones my hands can fit in. Mm-hmm. i can't mm-hmm. hold the balls OK, you're not supposed to hold the whole fucking big ball for
1: 10 pin. Well, I didn't mean like I was cupping it, but like, <laughs> I, but like my hand, it's baby fingies. Yeah. I got small hands. Yeah. But a big
0: heart, Um, which is why if you got your own custom ball, it'd be totally fine. But anyway, um, also, did you know that the actual balls at the alley have sizes for your hands? No. it will have the pound and then it will say like smlxl I just
1: always pick the pretty one okay love that pick one that you can hold oh, and wow. also that your fingies fit in okay but can i put the bumpers up? yeah of course I okay then care. yeah i don't care okay because like that's the only way that i'm not getting a 10 <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah no we didn't have bumpers which is Hence the 34.
1: Is that where all the like risk was? You're like sweating it. You're like, all right, this is what we play for. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, and so, okay. Fun fact. If you have one of the um, fingertip balls, which are the ones that most people that are doing like professional bowling are using, they only go down to like the fingertips of your middle and your ring finger and then your entire thumb goes in.
1: Mm Okay.
0: Um, and when you throw it off, it kind of flings off your ring finger which makes that spin and then it goes down on all the oil and then the oil stops, it picks up friction and that's when it like hooks in really far. Whenever you see that,
1: there is nothing sexier to me than me talking about bowling. Then you no no not just you talking about bowling, but like but you describing the, balls. the physics of it. Well, that too. But <laughs> just the physics of the oil and the mm-hmm. rolls off the <laughs> I love you. So, anyway,
0: um, <laughs> when you do that, yeah. you throw towards the outside of the lane. So, closer to the gutter, mm. which means when there's no fucking bumper and you move your arm a little bit in the wrong way, yeah, you're like, I want to die. Got but gotta when gotta you bomb. hit it, it's really cool because then it looks like you're riding the edge the whole time and then it just goes and right you into do the, the pocket.
1: moonwalk in mm-hmm. your bowling shoes down to your seat, nobody fucks with the Jesus. With mozzarella sticks. Oh, hell yeah. Boom.
0: And a root beer, thing. All you. right. Yes. So anyway, um, that's why I wanted to do this. I like it. And I just want you all to live in this 12 minutes because this is the best it's going to fucking yep. get. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so naturally, this stuck out to me as someone who has spent many equality hours in a bowling alley. Uh,
1: yes, I can see that.
0: And by the way, I think anytime you go in a bowling alley, you will undoubtedly see a few different character like personality traits Mm -hmm. um there's a few like they're just the characters that live in the bowling alley Mm -hmm. you know there's always the guy that's like really good and not talking to anybody who's just like throwing ball after ball after ball Mm -hmm. and then there's usually like a lady who's annoyed that she's working there but she's working there Mm -hmm. and she's like do you fucking want anything else and Mm -hmm. you're like uh
1: uh, no that's okay thank you um then there's the family of four that with the kids that scream and
0: And then there's the toddlers that are really cute that use like the little guided ball things and they're like almost always
1: dinosaurs and it's really cute
0: um and then there's like the 16 year old there who has like four zits ready to pop that are like spraying the inside of the shoes that everybody wears Yep. Mm mm-hmm and the whole thing smells like oil and grease. And also, if you walk by the pro shop, sometimes like artificial
1: vanilla. <laughs> and also just like sweat. Oh, yeah. That too. Yep. Yeah. So. <laughs> You're sat in the scene for me. I am. And if you wear white, then it like glows. Oh, like you yeah. Know the lights oh, Well, there.
0: that's only if it's like purple. What is it? A purple light bulb, but black lighting.
1: Yeah. It's like, isn't it like yeah. a black light? Yeah. Like a whatever. Yeah. Aren't they just like purple, though? I don't know. Anyway. Um. There's no point in going bowling if it's like all the lights are on, though. You know what I'm saying? I, no, that but I get like it. <laughs> it's not like. It's definitely not like
0: trippy space cowboy.
1: It's not the vibe I'm going for.
0: Yeah. Um, but I'm going to take us back to 1990. Okay. It's going to be February. February 10th, actually, to be exact. And it was a typical February day for New Mexico. Um, We're in Las Cruces. And the low that day was 33 degrees. And the high was 66 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: I like that.
0: So it was, again, a typical Saturday morning. And we're going to zoom in on Stephanie C. Sinek. She was in her 30s. And she was up and ready to open the alley. It was a Saturday. So they were expecting it to be really busy. And Stephanie was the manager of the alley. And she'd gone to her office, just make sure opening went smoothly. Um, again, it was going to get busy. So she was trying to make sure that basic business things were set up, like, you know, opening the place and setting up the building, getting the kitchen running, cleaning, making sure balls and shoes were in place. Probably also included putting on the fun little machines that oil the lanes. Mm-hmm. They're like little robots. And they just go down and come back up and go brrr, like a little Roomba and go down the next one. Um <laughs> She probably had to make sure the lights were on, the TV screens, like, you know, all of it. So Stephanie came in with her 12-year-old daughter, Melissa. And Melissa's friend, and I heard that also Amy, so, okay, Amy Hauser was Melissa's friend. And I believe that Amy Hauser was also Stephanie's boyfriend's daughter. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so Melissa was 12, and then Amy was 13. And I heard, again, that she was the boyfriend's daughter from Stephanie's brother Mm -hmm. in a documentary that I watched, which is where I got a lot of this information, because it was all pretty much straight interviews with all of the people Mm -hmm. that survived, but um, just so we know. Okay. So... We have Stephanie, who's 34, Melissa, who's 12, Amy Hauser, who's 13, and the two tweens were, like, being adorable and really cute, and were so excited because they get to supervise the bowling alley daycare.
1: Oh, that's wholesome. Uh-huh. That's also, like, a big risk for a bowling alley to take. Well... <laughs> of course, my mind goes, like, that's a lot of liability. That's yeah. <laughs> like a lot of kids, like, parents that are like, uh, is getting drunk and throwing <laughs> balls, so you can watch the kids,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> well... I think that it was mostly, like, for staff. So if staff didn't have anywhere to bring their kids, they could bring them there. That's cool, yeah. And, like,
1: the tweens would look over because they're, yeah. like, the cool big kids. Or it's, like, here's a place where you can sit your kids down, but we're not going to, like, watch them.
0: hmm Literally. Like, here's the arcade. Mm-hmm. You can give them six quarters, tell them have fun. Yep. Um, So that was just really cute. And, you know, sometimes patrons would come in and bowl, and their younger kids could just, like, hang out. But they weren't, like... Babysitting customer children, so it's probably like eight, eight thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's definitely before they open to the public. Public, but not too far out. I'm expecting they probably opened at like nine or ten, right? And by the way, if it was a tournament day, it would be earlier than that. But anyway, um, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> well, actually, well, actually, um, the cook, her name was Ida Holguin, and she was in the kitchen. When two armed men walked through the unlocked
1: door. Ooh, it was unlocked. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Ida normally worked in the nights and evenings at the alley, but actually had changed her schedule because her mom wanted to go to bingo with her that night. Oh. She did not get there. Um, but at the same moment, Melissa and Amy were hanging out and they were playing, like waiting for all the kids to get there, and they get so hungry. So they're like pestering Stephanie. They're like, oh, like we want food. Come on, and the cook, like the kitchen isn't running, so we can't even steal like a mozzarella stick breakfast. Mm-hmm. And so Stephanie gives them like a couple of quarters, sends them out to the vending machine. They walk out, and the two went to the machines. And Melissa said in an interview later that they were met with two men holding a twenty-two caliber in their faces. They described. That the offenders, one was a bit older and one was a bit younger. And Melissa initially said that they were two black men. So the older one of these two men told the girls to go back to the office. And obviously they did. Mm-hmm. I think this older man followed them as well. Okay. But the younger man went straight to Ida in the kitchen. Okay. He also held her at gunpoint and led her into Stephanie's office. In the office, Stephanie, Melissa, and Amy were already held at gunpoint and on the ground. Mm -hmm. So they, they being the perpetrators, yelled for everyone to get down on the floor. They're like berating the woman to find any money that the alley might have. They're looking through like all of these drawers Mm -hmm. and the woman aren't really sure why. They're like, the safe's right there. Like, we're going to tell you the fucking info. You're holding guns to our faces. Like, there you go. Um. And Stephanie pointed them in that direction. She gave them the codes and the four were laying on the ground and the men, of course, yelling questions, commands at them and still holding the 22s in their face. Mm -hmm. So the two men did then rob the alley. They took a combined total of somewhere between four and $6,000. Okay. Most of where I found reported 5,000. I think that was from CNN. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think they stole like four thousand from the safe and maybe a couple other places, like a register or something. Mm-hmm. But yes, about five thousand dollars. So at this time, one of the pin mechanics, which is just like a fucking great job title, I know. Um, Steve Taran came into the alley. And Steve, by the way, was a lieutenant in the army. He had a delightful little family that he was making. He was super excited. Um, him and his wife, Audrey, had two little girls, um, Valerie and Paula. Um, but because Audrey was also still going to school at this time, they couldn't find a babysitter for the day. So Valerie and Paula were with Stephen.
1: So both the two Mm -hmm. daughters are with him.
0: Valerie was two years old. Paula was six. Um, And while the girls normally had the babysitter again because Audrey was in school, they just didn't have anyone that day. And Steve was like, all right, Melissa and Amy are going to be there. They're always there. We'll hang out. Not a problem. And when Steve saw that nobody was there, he looked around. He was like, what the fuck? Like, It's kind of a Saturday. We should be popping or like Mm -hmm. getting busy um he walks into the office because stephanie's the manager and obviously he sees the four women laying on the ground and the two men with their handguns pointed in everybody's faces Mm -hmm. so when the three walked into the office the men yelled for them to get down as well uh the whole fam complied and got down and it was then that all seven people were shot execution style at close range.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. So, how old are his two kids?
0: 2 and 6.
1: 2 and Oh, Jesus Christ.
0: The 2-year-old was shot in the center of the head.
1: Oh my god. It
0: was awful. It is bad. Um and so Ida, who is the cook, she, in one of the interviews that was done with her, recounted being the second one to be shot. Um, she said that the gun was literally, like, resting on her head. Like, right on her head.
1: Oh, my God. Um, and she's alive to talk about it?
0: Yeah. And she knew she was next. And then Melissa said she heard someone sounding like they were drowning. Um,
2: oh. And she said she
0: didn't know who. And when the shots were like, she heard gurgling, basically. Oh, God. When the shots were done, the men fled, but not before trying to set fire to the office.
1: What the hell? Yeah.
0: So they, like, I literally think they lit a stack of papers on fire.
1: And thought that would just light the whole building yeah. on fire? Okay. I mean,
0: eventually it did get to the desk, which is, like, scary, but whatever. Um,
1: You didn't do enough? Jesus Christ.
0: Literally. And so the intent, I think, and... You know, detectives speculate was to try to destroy evidence, but like, how are you going to just destroy seven dead bodies, yeah, two well, of which are like
1: thinking you were going to do with infants,
0: that? basically two yeah. and six. Um, yeah, it's really bad, <laughs> and so it was Melissa, the twelve-year-old daughter of the manager. So Stephanie is the manager, Melissa's her daughter, twelve bleeding from her execution style shot to the head who managed to make the biggest surge of effort that she could and crawled to find a phone. She pulled herself up to the desk where she saw the fire burning all of the paper and starting to get to the wood. And she got on her hand, like she got her hands on the phone and made that call to 911. This saved three of the seven victims lives.
1: Wow. And this is the 12 year old. Yeah. Oh, my God. Don't tell me her mom's the one that's, like, drowning in her own blood.
0: I don't know. I kind of doubt it. Um, Spoiler alert, her mother did survive. Okay. So I, unfortunately, I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. You're hearing somebody gurgling no, on their own awful. blood. It's going to haunt you. But um, probably was Amy or one of the Turan family members.
2: Mm.
0: So... We're just going to take a second because obviously this fucking sucks. (laughs) And Allie and I say every fucking episode that we have to put ourselves in these spots and almost to honor the victim, but also to honor the horror that was experienced. Mm -hmm. Like actual genuine real life horror, not fucking staged uh, haunted house that you walk through that, you know, someone's going to jump out of the casket in the corner and then they do. And then you jump anyway because it's a jump scare and it always gets you like this is 830 on a fucking Saturday.
1: And the adults that brought the kids were like, what kid's not going to have fun at a bowling alley? Of course, they can come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Steve, who was like, yeah, hell yeah, I want my wife to go get an education. Like, learn it up, baby. Like, don't worry. I got the girls. Like,
1: I'll make this. Well, we'll make it a fun time anyway. Yeah. I already confirmed it with Stephanie that.
0: The girls are there. It's all good. That
1: they'll, you know, have other kids there or whatever. (sighs) So.
0: Two of the three adults walked into work that day with two kids to care for, Mm. age ranges of 2 to 13. And again, you're thinking it could be a tough day because it's, like, going to get busy and it's a Saturday and kids are going to be hyper and you're not sure if you ordered enough mozzarella sticks to make it through their weekend rush. But, like, you're not thinking that before 830 you're going to be shot five times. You know? Oh, my God. And then you have to watch the same thing to happen to a toddler let alone your own two-year-old. I, oh my God. And I just feel like, you know, obviously this sucks for every single person, but I also feel really bad for Ida who switched a shift to be there that day and then was met with a guy mm-hmm. to bring in and already saw people lying there and then had to be there and then had to have the experience of more people being added. Yep. Every one of those positions sucks to be in. It sucks to be the first one there. It sucks to be the middle one. It sucks to be the, la- the last one. But the other two groups only got to experience one. The they didn't have to deal with like walking in and seeing terrified people or sitting there and watching people become terrified as they walk in every time. I'd have had to deal with both.
1: Not only that, but I'm just thinking like, that's something i would do like move work around so like my mom and i could go do something yeah. like of course i would and my mom would have done the same thing if i yeah. had asked her like oh can you come to my concert tonight you bet your bottom dollar my mom would have been there yeah
0: hey i'm in band we're doing a winter festival come yeah on. yeah
1: and she would have moved things around i'm just thinking like that's that's like that's what a mom does Yeah, and ida is the only one there without family yeah and then you think of stephanie and i think okay sure like, my daughter probably doesn't want to come to work with me, but I'll let her bring a friend so she'll have yeah. a friend there to have fun and run around, and, and you know what? that'll Ugh. be good. And I'm sorry. I know it's a Saturday. and we got to get up early, but I'll get you guys lunch or, you know. Yeah, like, you can here, get have some fun vending machine candy for any, breakfast. Any kind of pizza you want. Yeah. And
0: I don't know. I don't know what the office smelled like. Maybe it smelled like oil. Maybe it was the weird pro shop smell where every time you go in, it's, like, bowling and mm-hmm. shoe spray and Again, the weird scented balls and chalk bags that are always sold everywhere. Until it smells like gunpowder and smoke. And you're hearing sobbing babies and gurgling, like it is a fucking horror scene. Ugh. At 8:30 a.m. Like I can't I can't fathom that. I can't being up at 8:30 in a bowling alley on a Saturday, let alone traumatized by 8:33.
1: And to be the dad that walked in with his two toddlers. I know. Two kids.
0: To see nothing. And then because he's a hard fucking worker, he went to go see what was going on. He wasn't like, well, guess work's canceled. See you later.
1: And it's like his wife. Yeah. Her entire family was annihilated. Oh, I know. Before 9 a.m.
0: That a Saturday. was the worst interview to watch. They were all awful. They were all really hard. Hers was gut-wrenching. Like, melted my insides.
1: God damn it.
0: So, the fire at the alley was also reported at 8.33 a.m. First responders got to the scene, and in an interview with Bill Schatzman, who was the first responding officer, he recounts being shocked at hearing about the bullets shot there. He said, like, not only was it a safe town, homicide was rare, publicly even rarer, but When he got inside, he said he saw the fire first and then he saw Melissa and he starts crying in this interview
1: because it's haunting for first responders to see something like that. And he says she
0: gave him this look of thank God you're here, which, by the way, if you've never seen an officer tear up about a 12 year old who just experienced seven people being shot execution style before setting her mom's office on fire, I wouldn't recommend it. It's It's heartbreaking
1: horrible
0: that being said he's a fucking great officer like we'll see throughout this whole thing like he's fucking great um and when bill got further in and started trying to help melissa had looked up at him scared saying 911 told her not to hang up because she's on the phone with them right and so they say don't Aww. hang up we're sending people and she's like not convinced she can hang up
2: oh the nine one
0: one. she dis- wants permission to yeah. be able to hang up because she's fucking 12 the 911 dispatcher literally had to tell her to go. He was like, get out. The officer's there. Go. Like, yeah, you can go. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're breathing in smoke. You need to leave.
1: What a brave kid, though. Like, she's the reason that those people are, that survived are alive. Oh,
0: I know. Honestly, I heard the 911 call, and I I can't. I, I can't. It was awful. It's like, the whole time, she's just saying, help me.
2: Like, Aww. in between
0: every other fucking sentence. And then there's one point where he, the dispatcher asks how many people are shot. How many people are there. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't just go, oh, seven. She goes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And, like, that tore me apart. <laughs> like, it was really bad. Oh,
1: fucking A, dude.
0: And so, okay, when Bill got further in and tried to help and... Melissa finally got permission to hang up. Um th- I don't know, like they're dealing with not even a teenager alone, saving lives, scared shitless, seeing her mom's limp, unconscious body in blood. And her like little friend. Yep. And the cook that I'm sure gave her sneak bites of whatever she wanted throughout the night. And the
1: two babies next yep. to her.
0: And so they pronounced Amy Hauser. Paula, Stephen, or Paula and Stephen dead on scene.
1: And Paula was one of his kids.
0: Paula was the six-year-old. Okay. Uh, Valerie, the two-year-old, was rushed to the hospital, but she was declared dead on arrival. Melissa was discovered to have been shot five different times.
1: So they were all repeatedly shot. Oh, yeah.
0: No, the 12-year-old who was shot five times made the 911 call.
1: Holy shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's bad.
1: Badass.
0: She's fucking amazing, this kid.
1: I can't, I mean, they couldn't have been, like, to her face.
0: I think one was to her head.
1: Oh, God.
0: I think she probably moved or they missed a major something, but she is a lucky kid. And she is so brave. But with emergency medical services, Melissa, Stephanie, and Ida were also all able to survive this attack, which fucking is a freaking miracle entirely due to Melissa. Um, And I just want to take a second to appreciate, again, 12-year-old, five times at her mom's work, to be the one to muster up the courage, to be like, am I alive right now?
1: It's not like her mom said, Go do this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, there was no adult in charge. There was nobody calm to take over the scene. There was no, you call 911. You get an AED. None of that shit. It's just this girl listening to crying and staggered breathing, if any, gurgling and smelling smoke and being like, well, shit, I guess I'm alive. Guess I gotta yep. do something. And Melissa recounts that getting up and going to Bill, she only saw Valerie. She said she she saw the two-year-old and then she was too afraid to look around. She couldn't look
1: at anybody else. And who said this? Melissa. Melissa okay, the mom. No, the 12-year-old. 12-year-old. Okay. Melissa...
0: Got on the phone, got permission to get off, goes up to go to Bill, who's the The first responder. Yeah. And as she's walking out, people are like, what did you see? What did you see? And literally the only thing she saw was the two year old with the gunshot in the center of her head. And she was like, I was too afraid to look around after that. And I was like, no, I get that. Uh, Yeah. Oh, my God. Now, I have to be honest. I did watch again. The documentary was on YouTube. It's called A Nightmare in Las Cruces and first of all it is almost entirely documentary like it is just interviews with all of the people involved detectives mm-hmm. first responders survivors everything there's like a weird little reenactment at the beginning but there kind of always is with like true crime shit mm-hmm. you know um but it throws you into the 911 call immediately like the first 4 minutes are just this 911 call which is, like, fucking jarring, by the way. But um, it's just heartbreaking. You hear how young she is. Her voice is, like, prepubescent. You know, you've got, like, a little high voice and, like, like a She's squeak. a terrified baby. Yes. And, like, I don't know, 12 years old? You're, what, sixth grade? Mm-hmm. Max? <laughs> I know. And so she... Just again, the please help me just really gets me. And she was just saying that, like. She had just learned about calling 911 and emergency numbers in school the week before.
1: Wow, that's awesome. I know.
0: <laughs> and I was like, or, and she said in the interview, interviews, like, thank God it was fresh. But I'm like. No, no, like that you, was on you. You, you did, did that. that. It was not because you learned it three days ago you probably learned it before that. And they just refreshed you three days ago. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, but but that was instinct baby girl.
0: The only thing I don't love about how this whole thing went is obviously the 911 calls are recorded. So you can hear like first responders and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, the dispatcher that was on there, I get that he was doing his best and I fully understand that many towns, even today would not be prepared for this kind of shit storm Mm -hmm. to hit. Um, but I don't love the idea that his bedside manner was just telling her to um, be strong. Like that—that that was pretty much it. It was like you have to hold on, you have to stay on the phone, be strong. And it was like, okay, I, like she could probably just use and it's. It's going to be okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> even I if mean, it's not a promise, even like we're getting people to you, it's going to be okay. Like we're going to get people there.
1: I don't know, but he's doing his best to I keep know. her. <laughs>
0: I also just feel bad because we're tearing up talking about it. He was the first one to hear it, and like at first, even some of the detectives and like interviews were like, "This has to be fake. Like this has to be some sort of fucking training or something."
1: I was just gonna say that I think I have a lot of respect. Again, I always say for all first responders, yeah, because you see the you see the worst of the worst again. No one's calling 911 because they're having a good day. No. I think that's just a given. And I think that, um, like, the operators on the other end of that hear people's worst days. And you yeah. can't see them. You can't help them. All you can do is try to talk them through it and talk yeah. to them. And how much of his day is, like, prank calls? Yeah. How much of it is, well, I thought I saw hey. this, yeah, this or, oh, sorry, I didn't realize I was calling or... Well, can you just transfer me to the non-emergency line? It's like, no. Yeah. No, I can't. No, that is <laughs> not know? my job
0: and I don't have them here. <laughs> this and, is a different. You know,
1: so all yeah. the different things that you have to be on 100% of the time. And there's a lot of jobs where you have to be on and I'm not saying there aren't, but. Right. And this one particularly. Because you never know what's on the other line. Because you don't. And you don't know if this little kid's faking it. She, nope. she sounds like a kid. Yeah. I imagine a lot of times you get a call and there's a kid's voice on the other side. It's either because shit really hit the fan, like in this Mm -hmm. case, or a butt dial. A butt dial, or... I dare you to do it. I bet you won't. Or, I'm in
0: aisle five in the grocery store and I
1: can't find my mom. Oh, yeah. And they're like,
0: okay, go to the customer service desk. Like, not 911.
1: But you know what I mean? Like, I can imagine that and 80% of the time is probably... Low stakes. Yeah. Small potatoes. Important, you know, whatever. It's a call. But not, not this.
2: Mm -hmm. Not
1: how awful this is.
0: And, you know, again, not for nothing, we talk about this. Nothing ever happens in the middle of a shift. It's 830. Yep. They switched over at 7 or 730. That's how almost all of the 24 hour lines Mm -hmm. go. So he had been at work for an hour, hour and and a half. Yeah. Might have been the first call. And I can only imagine the chill that goes down your spine when you hear the tone. Because mm-hmm. I, I know there's got to be different tones for the prank calls versus like, holy oh, shit, my mom's dying. Um, I'm dying. It was awful. Yep. Yeah. Five shots to the fucking head. Um, And this is the thing. Melissa through sniffles in one of these interviews just says that. If anybody else had been conscious, they would have done the same thing. Someone called her a hero and she goes, no, I'm, I'm not a hero. It just happened to be me. And I'm like, uh-uh.
1: And that's what the heroes say.
0: Yeah, because you're 12, yeah. shot five times. Mm-hmm. And this is a horror scene. So Ida says when first responders pulled her out, they asked her her name. And she says the only way she knew she was alive was hearing herself say her name. Wow. She was like, uh... Ida (laughs) she felt them wheeling her out and she woke up in a hospital wow in the meantime
1: so they probably got her like just in time
0: oh I'm sure yeah I think that's how this happened for both Ida and Stephanie was it was like they needed immediate attention or it would have been too late right and in the meantime a physician had shown up starting to try to determine who was deceased and who still needed to go to the hospital and Melissa had gotten pulled up first. She got out to the parking lot, started talking to some other officers, giving them a statement, that kind of thing. Obviously, she was getting checked
1: out. I was just going to say, what is she like strolling around or they got her like (laughs) on the way to the hot lake? No, there was an ambulance. This baby was shot five times.
0: There was an ambulance there. So she was getting looked at, but she hadn't left right away Mm -hmm. because Bill was in there while they were sort of doing some of the deceased stuff. And in the ambulance, Melissa said she wouldn't go to the hospital without Bill
2: oh yeah (laughs) oh
1: stop i'm gonna cry no really he
0: started crying in this interview about it and he was like i was literally just in there trying to see what else i could do to help and like clean up and they said bill you gotta go she won't leave without you because she was like this is this is the only adult i know right now that i trust that is here that will help and i can't imagine what it's like to be a 12 year old shot in the head five times surrounded by people with guns Mm -hmm. like I don't know. It's just the little things that you don't even think about. Some of
1: the some of them are there to help you. Yeah, but I will say this though, that's a good point that you make of just like Mm -hmm. bad people with guns were just here. Mm -hmm. How do I know you're a good person? You know, and and being twelve, like you don't know shit from shit. I bet she just wanted to hold his hand. Yeah,
0: and so she asks for Bill, and if there's literally one thing that's ubiquitously acknowledged in this case it is that every single person straight up dotes on melissa they're like she is so smart ida in the documentary talks about how impressed she is because in the documentary it was made in like 2009 2010 Mm -hmm. so like 20 years later and ida has a granddaughter who was 12 at the time the documentary was made. Aww. And she was just like, it's astounding to me that like this kid was the same age as my granddaughter.
2: Mm-hmm. And A,
0: it's just fucking amazing that we can say Ida has a granddaughter. I was
1: just going to say that she got to become a grandmother. Yeah. But because like if Melissa hadn't done what she did, there would be no, grand, there'd be no grandkids. No. There'd be no kids. There'd no. It,
0: that'd be it. And even on the off chance that there were kids and became grandkids, there would be no grandma. And right now there's both. And that's just amazing. And also one of the detectives from the scene was praising Melissa. Um, And I think it was the way he worded it. He said to have just been shot 12 years old, seeing your unconscious mother and having the wherewithal to call emergency services, but also being able to effectively communicate what happened, where you are and everything going on. And that was something I hadn't thought about because I was always like, Fuck yeah, she got up to talk to 911, but then it's like, what do you do when you're there? There are people mm-hmm. that hyperventilate on the phone and can't get any words out. Yep. She told them what happened, where they were. They got to the building. She guided them to where the manager's office was on the phone. Wow. At fucking 12 with five bullet wounds. And this isn't,
1: I'm not proud of this, but I have like the worst geographical awareness mm-hmm. my dad jokes that he could drop me off at the end of my street spin me around one time and i'd be lost like i couldn't get home yeah <laughs> you and me both but truly like i directionally i just don't have it i think yeah. some people have it and some don't and i'm just i'm in that other people camp. like
0: us have to be paired with the people that do
1: correct yeah <laughs> um because we'd get lost together yeah but now like but for her to just know where it is. Yeah. I mean, how often do you go into your mom's work? Literally. Right? But also to just be able to effectively yeah. communicate that in the most panic she's ever been in to date, yep. ever likely, hopefully, will be yeah. forever. At 12 like i like my jaw just
0: hits the floor every time i start to think about it, and i know i say the whole thing every time but it's like what the fuck i
1: struggle giving directions to my own house i i, I live here yeah <laughs>
0: and, and i'm
1: you're like good. oh shit i don't know where that you know where that thing uh, is it the second or the third damn, turn the street I, oh shit i forget <laughs> the name of the street but it looks like the, you know the house i don't know what color it is but yeah. there's a house there you know but like yeah. things like that were you know i think that's also a sign of our times but just the fact that she that didn't stump her at all and because even that 30 seconds of shit where am i or whatever Mm -hmm. could have been life or death for any of the people that she's the reason are alive
0: valerie the two-year-old who got to the hospital Mm -hmm. lived for 45 minutes if she had taken any longer calling if she had stopped and thought about anything longer, that is literal minutes you can subtract,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is awful and like gut wrenching to think about. But just a very realistic picture of, of how what's much going on, yeah, and
1: how much each minute mattered.
0: Yes, and so I I don't know. I just love all the praise, and I love that in the documentary, um, Bill is. Sp- Pretty much sobbing by the time he gets to the point where he's like, she asked me to come with,
1: and I like couldn't say no. Oh, like, you know they like go. do Christmases together, the families.
0: Well, they had apparently they kept in touch for like a few years after and fell out of touch. So the documentary actually got it on film them meeting each other again for the first Aww. time, and it was just so fucking sweet because obviously she's a grown ass woman, mm-hmm. and so he was like, you look great, like I love this shirt on you, like oh like, yeah. and she was just like giving him a she long probably hug, kids yeah, like. It was just the sweetest fucking thing. Oh, come on. And so Melissa on her nine one one call recounted that the offenders were two black men. Mm-hmm. In the morning, detectives all over Las Cruces, including at the universities, were called to help. So they just fucking phoned it in to everyone. They were right. like straight up we need like we need help. Um and detectives canvassed the area they went up in helicopters to fly over just to see if anything fucking looked weird Mm -hmm. um they started setting up an effort to get every exit from las cruces shut down with roadblocks like in and out of the state they went down i think through el paso to so to the border of mexico too to just like see if they could catch anyone um
1: I mean, if you were going to murder people, I think I would flee the country. So I could see where, like, you'd go. Mexico.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Let alone seven people. So after they set up all of the roadblocks, they also found that there were four subjects in one car with $12,000 and they got pulled over. They were like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Because even though it was only two, you don't know who's meeting up with who. Yeah, you don't know know who's waiting in the car. Yeah. Which... By the way, I'm just going to use this time to put in a little asterisk. I did not read this in any of the articles. I only saw it through an interview. So I'm going to put that out there as a disclaimer because you can take this with as much grain of salt as you want. Mm -hmm. Steve Sinek, who is Stephanie's brother. Mm -hmm. The bowling alley was owned by their father. So the son of the owner. Okay. He had gone there in the morning. He had school or work or something. He left his laptop there. Mm -hmm. Went in saw the two men they were just hanging out they were on foot so they were just like walking kind of around and he was like that's kind of normal because there's like things in walking distance but it's pretty much a big empty field Mm -hmm. not a field but like you know what i mean like a big car lot and then there's the bowling alley and maybe like a street or so over there's like a few other things Mm -hmm. like you could walk through there to get somewhere else but it wasn't typical people were walking there right um so he saw the guys and he was like okay weird but went in grabbed his laptop he Mm -hmm. was like you should lock the doors if we're not open yet and left got in his car drove away so they called him because they were like yo you saw these people are Mm -hmm. these them and they drove him up in the car like the cop car they had the four people outside like lined up against their car Mm -hmm. so steve didn't even have to get out and he knew immediately he was like no none of these people are that." It was really interesting because in the actual interview, they were like, how did you feel like walking up to the car? And he's like, well, I didn't walk up to the car, but like I knew pretty much immediately like it was a little nerve wracking that it could have been, but I wasn't convinced and I was right. Like,
1: yeah, it wasn't them. So four
0: of them and significantly more money than was stolen. Right. So Audrey. Turan, the mother of the two girls and Stephen's wife said she found out during her lunch. This happened at 8.30. What? So she was in classes. Yeah. And she heard the tail end of like a radio report saying that seven were shot and four were dead. That's all she heard.
1: So she didn't even get notified by law enforcement yet. She heard it on the radio. Yes. Oh, God. And
0: Gloria Woods, um, who is Amy's mother, so the 13-year-old, heard during a shift at the bakery...
1: Oh, come on. And it was somebody
0: who came up and said, did you hear about the bowling alley? Oh, come on. And she said no. And so there wasn't a phone in the bakery, so she had to, like, sprint out of the bakery into the office, like, next door or something, to use the phone, called, got no answer, and went right there. And then, kind of, it was presented to me as being around at the same time. I'm not gonna say that it was, because I don't know for certain, but both Audrey and Gloria ended up going to the alley. And Audrey called and when Audrey got no answer she left and right before she left she heard someone say did you hear there was a robbery at the bowling alley and so she's like Uh. starting to put stuff together and detectives recount walking in and seeing the little girls shot on the floor and feeling like it had to be fake you know like the mock scene but obviously it wasn't and they called in a pretty reputable lab. It was called Stickley's Crime Lab to just come in and canvas. Um, I don't know if they didn't clean up too, but whatever. They were there. And many of the detectives agree that it was the most traumatic and gory scenes any of them had seen. Jesus. Just period. Christ. So, again, the investigation's going on. Loved ones are showing up. Detectives are walking in. Crime scene labs are talking like walking in. The whole place is roped off with the police tape. And... Gloria, Amy's mom, got to the scene and passed the yellow tape like she's just straight up like mm-hmm. I'm fucking going in there. Yeah, and she said there was a police officer that asked, you know, what are you doing here? And she said my daughter's in there. And she was told to go to the hospital. And so she goes, not knowing that, you know, Amy was pronounced dead on scene. Oh, and yeah, this is all really hard. Um, <laughs> so. Then we're going to get to Audrey, who got there. And she's, again, Steve's wife and the mother of the two children. And when she was there, they said, you know, who are you? Why are you here? And she was like, I'm Audrey. My daughters are there. And he goes, you know, what are the ages? And they didn't say anything. They just said, we need to find someone to talk to you. Which has to be, like, the worst sentence to hear. Like, you can't talk to me? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, something's coming when someone can't tell you. The I'd thing. be
1: climbing up and down people to get in there.
0: I know. And so it's incredibly difficult to watch. There is footage from the scene and the day it's the 90s. It's not great, but it's there. And you can see officers telling Audrey in the videos. Oh. So they pull her out to like a car. They have her sit down. They literally buckle her in. And you can see where they tell her Stephen was shot. And then you can see where they say the kids were shot. And Audrey says, you know, Stephen was a first lieutenant in the army. So she knows he would have put up a fight if he could have. Like, that's the first thing in her head. Mm -hmm. And they tell her that Stephen's shot. And she's like, okay. Well, okay, where are the girls? Like, take me to the girls. Like, they wouldn't kill kids. Like, she literally says, she's like, I did not think they would kill children, too. And the detective said that Paula was shot and passed on scene. And when Audrey asked about Valerie, they said she had to go to the hospital. And once she got to the hospital, she found out that Valerie lived for 45 minutes and was pretty much dead on arrival there as well. And this is like really what makes me cry, cry, sob, sad. Um, Audrey's only question was whether or not Valerie was held or if she was on a table when she died. Yeah, it was really sad. Um and she was sat down by a nurse and a priest and that's who told her. And the priest told her that she lived for 45 minutes and the nurse or er, and the priest also had said that even if she had lived, she would have been a quadriplegic. Okay, because of where the bullet hit. And the nurse, when Audrey asked if she died on a table or being held, the social worker said that she was being held. One of the nurses saw it was, like, not going well and just picked her up. And that, sorry, this is going to do it again, um, that she kind of, like, curled into the lady's chest and her last word was mama. Yeah. Um, I literally wrote ouch, 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 ouch in my notes. Um. It's really bad. (laughs) Abby, what the fuck? I'm sorry. I didn't know. I just saw Bowling Alley. I thought it would be fun, and now I'm crying. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Gloria, Amy's mom, when she got to the hospital, was met with a nurse. And when Gloria asked to see Amy, the nurse said that she died. And Gloria, in her interview, recalls just, like, kind of screaming and, like, You know, pounding on the nurse's shoulders and being like, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. And the only thing the nurse said was, I wish I was lying.
2: And I was like, what the fuck?
0: (laughs) So the medical examiners recounted the trauma of having to check life and declare the time of death. One of the retired medical examiners who was on the case said she saw one of the detectives roll Amy over and she was 13. And he stumbled back, and later he had said that he had a daughter the same age and thought he saw her face and, like, panicked. Oh, my God. Like,
1: this wrecked this Every, town. Everyone that saw that. Yeah. Oh, my God.
0: So the Las Cruces precinct captain at the time, Fred Rubio, said shortly after the crime, the only leads they had were two men who sort of resembled the sketches and were said to be urgently walking around looking for Interstate 10, which went down to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And while originally Melissa thought they were two black men, later through interviews and just sort of like talking further about the sketch and doing the composites and all of that, they thought they could have also just been like dark Hispanic or Latinx men. Yeah, okay. That being said, there was a major age difference. They thought it could have been like a father and a son or like, you know, there was two significant different stages of life going on. And so... They knew the men left on foot, but when they weren't found, they also thought there might have been, like, a vehicle stashed somewhere for a quick getaway. So later that same day, they learned that there was a man on a roof of a nearby building who was describing the younger man. He said he saw them leaving, and this is what they looked like, and then they did more research, and that was a fucking lie.
1: Oh, Jesus Christ. I
0: know. And one of the detectives who was doing a computer-generated composite, um, Steve Sinac, Stephanie's brother, Melissa's uncle, mm-hmm. owner's son, believes that he saw them early that morning. So when he went and sat down to do this composite, he was like, "Yeah, they got them really good." And then finally, because the computer can only do so much, they got to an actual sketch artist, and they could like, you know, describe if there was hollows in the cheeks and like right. dimples and shit like that. It's like so, I was
1: looking at the gun, not the face, uh-huh. is what I
0: probably <laughs> would say. Well, most of the victims, but Steve had kind of a. Right, right, right. Right. He had sort of a benefit in the fact that he didn't see any of this in the trauma. He only saw them going in to get his laptop before he left. Okay. And so (sighs) he sat down with the detective who did it. And for a good long time afterwards, the detectives had to show up at 7 a.m. to the office, take a huge stack of leads, and then just go follow through. Like, they really had, like, nothing. Wow. And so... That could have meant El Paso, nearby towns in New Mexico, actually Mexico. And ultimately, Gino Tafoya, Homer Jackson, and Rose Marquez Mace became the lead detectives on this case. So they made sure that each lead was followed and organized. They put together the teams that would go canvas them. Excellent. Look at the Um, task force for it. Yeah, it was great. And the three thought that it was strange that it was a robbery, but that the men would rob the place without masks And here's the interesting thing There was still money left over in that safe So they didn't even take all of it? No And they were like Why rob a place without fully robbing the place Not wearing masks And then kill seven people including children Like that doesn't scream money motivated
1: I was just gonna Well if your motive's money Then take it or leave it Right Like
0: Yeah Ugh so um, Stephen Turan's brother says that he doesn't understand it, um, especially as the men were on foot and it's a bowling alley. It's not like a bank. They're not going to go and hit it big, mm-hmm. robbing the bowling alley. And it was an open parking lot. So like, where where are you going to go? How did they get out of there on foot? Right. And so to me, that says there was absolutely a car stashed. Mm-hmm. There was somebody who was driving a go vehicle who came up around later or They lived in the area and they could just sort of slip out.
1: Yeah. And just like go home.
0: Yeah. And so he thinks they were casing the place to figure out what was going on, to know that they do the deposits in the morning and thinks that it had to be about more than just money um, since there was still this like the cash left over in the safe. And so a lot of officials actually don't think it was a robbery at all. Like they don't think that's what it was intended for. Jeez. And so local policemen even and detectives and I believe Fred Rubio who was the precinct captain at the time was like yeah we have criminals but we don't have anybody who would look a two-year-old in the face and shoot them so or you didn't think you did exactly and so Anthony who was Stephen Turan's brother said he didn't believe that it was random he thought it was chosen for a very specific reason and so this led them to follow any leads that could make some sort of sense out of all of this. And some believed it was professional hitmen. Some think that it could have been involved with, like, a Cuban residence that recently came around and had a lot of drug dealings in Kansas, New Mexico, um, which was two streets away from the alley. Some believe it was an organized crime hit. Ron Cenac, the owner, Steve and Stephanie's father...
2: Melissa's Melissa's grandfather grandfather,
0: yeah that whole thing um discussed some of these theories and the main two were a robbery and the other a planned attack and Ron basically said he could handle a robbery okay if people needed money they're going to come in and do whatever they want Mm -hmm. but the idea of a planned attack scared him shitless
1: of course it did, and I was like
0: that sure makes sense to me um but the detectives believed that the men were looking for something besides money as well because if we remember, like Melissa was talking about, they were opening drawers and like cabinets before they even asked for where the safe was. Right. Um, and so Las Cruces basically turned on Ron Sinek or Sinek. I'm not sure how you say it. Um, there are rumors all over and they speculate that it could have had to deal with cocaine. Either maybe Ron was storing it or funding it or selling it or doing it. And allegedly Ron was also living in the bowling alley at the time. Anthony Turan said that he heard some complaints from his brother Stephen over the years about the company that Ron kept or that, you know, maybe he spent his money foolishly, um, but didn't think he was involved, quote unquote, in the business. (laughs) So while Ron seems to believe it was entirely random and stated that the police said the same, Rose, who was one of the detectives, like the main three, Mm -hmm. was being interviewed and said that that was not a statement they would have made because... They didn't have proof of that. Why would they tell him that it was a random attack if they don't know who did it? Right. So I'll, I'll put this out there. A lot of the information I got on Ron was from this documentary. So I am hesitant to say that any of this specifically lines up. It definitely seemed like it was kind of trying to point a finger at him to be like, maybe you should check out this fucking guy. And I don't disagree that he should be checked out. But... I also don't think it's fair to just straight up say we don't know what must be his fault. Yes. He's already lost. Well, he has lost his daughter because Stephanie later passed. But like he already went through enough trauma having to hear about all of this. Did Oh, Stephanie died from her injuries. No, not immediately. She died like later, okay. but she did eventually pass. Um, And so Ron is getting criticized left, right, up, down, sideways, upward, whatever, and so Ron is also criticized for reopening the alley too soon after the incident. Um, I'm going to take a quick second here and just describe Ron. Mm-hmm. Ron was not. OK. If any of you do like bowling or like movies enough to have seen The Big Lebowski. <laughs> yes. Um, he was a golfer. <laughs> uh the whole Big Lebowski quote is, obviously, I'm not a golfer, but Ron was a fucking golfer. That was his sport. <laughs> he did not like bowling. Um, He just... That was his business. It wasn't his passion. That's what he said. Okay, gotcha. And so I was like, okay, that's fair. Bill, like a job only has to pay the bills. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, But Ron was described as one of the locals as being the kind of guy who would like undermine um insult people like not undermine but like slight hand insults kind of thing and the guy that like when he left like, everybody was like oh, okay thank god oh
1: yeah just like
0: yeah like kind of backhanded compliments like little insults sprinkled in there that um, shouldn't be a big deal but like we're just enough to push your buttons in this house we call those assholes <laughs> <laughs> in this pod we call them asshats <laughs> <But>, yes <laughs> So, you know, you can be an asshole and not be responsible for your entire family's murder. Correct. That's fine. Or attempted. Um. And so Ron, again, was criticized for reopening the alley too soon after the incident. Ron states, by the way, this is fucking hysterical to me because either he is making a bold lie and he just really picked the most ironic way to do it. Or this is just the most ironic thing I've ever heard. Um. Ron states that. It was the church people who were pounding on the door the Monday after again it happened Saturday, so mm. Sunday, Monday. He was like, They were pounding on the door on Monday trying to get it to do their league. And I was like, Now listen, I I'm sure there are people that would do that. But I don't I don't know that
1: are we sure? Like <laughs> <laughs> Are you willing to bet money on that, bud? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. Um and then he says he opened it like the week after or something because he obviously waited out he wanted to do the memorials and the burials and not be bothered with that and then he also had to do cleanup because his entire fucking bowling alley was on fire and bloody I and mean, a course. murder scene i mean it yeah so but like in a week he changes the carpets gets things cleaned up reopens the next monday
1: i mean yeah he's uh- I can't imagine being him though. I mean like yeah asshole or no asshole. Right. That's a shit spot to be in especially if he's living there. Well it is because if I if I put myself in his position this is my livelihood. Right. This is like how I put food mm-hmm. on the table. This is this is how I'm taking care of my family. It's a family business. My daughter's working there. You know who yeah. knows my granddaughter might work there. Like yeah it's in the family. It's safe. It's whatever you know prior to this. Right. Um how horrific for it to be this awful crime scene yeah where these horrors took place i can understand the motivation of like let's clean this up like we need to it's some sense of normalcy like any yeah. sense and of we normalcy. need to like freshen this up like th-
0: it yeah. cannot stay like this yeah and so for that like i again maybe he's an asshat you can be an asshat You can rush things, you can do whatever, but you don't know how you're going to respond to trauma until you have trauma. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's necessarily a fair critique. Right. I think if the church thing was made up, that might be a little much, but we also don't know that it was made up. He just kind of gives me the skeeves, but that doesn't mean I think he had anything to do with it. I don't think he had
1: anything to do with it necessarily.
0: So Ron did kind of lie in some of the interviews they kind of cut back and forth between his and the other people and Mm -hmm. again the documentary was made 20 years later so we also don't know what the fuck he has placed in his memory because trauma brain is a lot and you can just put memories in there so Mm -hmm. who knows um but he says that he went to the police department every day between the 10th and the 16th again rose who was the detective obviously has all of the paperwork and she can confidently say that no it he did not in fact he was kind of hard to track down for that week <laughs> yes um but ron said that he was upset with the police department because he thought it was really fucking rude for them to think he was involved and i was like ron not for nothing that's how they fucking solve crimes they kind of have to like count you out before they figure out who to go to next correct um
1: i and also someone shot your family you might want to so p- like
0: Help with that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like cooperate. They need to rule you out, bud. Yeah. And
0: so Ron said, again, he was upset, but it was also true that he did three polygraph tests and he passed them all. He said, in fact, he remembers doing one. Never
1: do a polygraph
0: test. (laughs) Literally. Um, But he says he remembered one because obviously they always ask you like yes or no questions. And something that was interesting to me that was kept in there, I think this was supposed to be like a little dip your toe into it and just leave someone with a question. Mm -hmm. But he said one of the questions they asked was, are you involved with the mob? And he said, yeah, the questions were yes or no. But I said, hell no.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. And I
0: was like, okay, Ron, I hear you. Um, (laughs) But again, even interviewing him, interviewing Steve, his son, Steve didn't believe that there was any reason someone would be trying to send a message to the family. Like, I think that was an angle they were trying to take to be like, hey, are you involved in any shady shit? Someone was trying to tit for tat. Mm. Um, But Steven says he doesn't get it. He doesn't think there's anything that anyone in their family would have been involved in to have like retaliation, let alone yeah. anything like fucking this. And a crime analyst, Barry Swanson, can be quoted saying it looks like retribution. And well, I agree and my heart says that there isn't enough information um, to show that the Cenac family has done anything to deserve this level of retribution, um, I don't know. Maybe someone in the family had like a weird secret or owed someone money or something. Like, you, I don't know. You just never know dirty laundry unless it's aired. And if you don't have to air it, most people don't. Mm-hmm. So who knows? But I kind of agree that it doesn't look like there's enough to just be... A robbery, but I also don't see anything to prove that it was retribution either. Like, there's nothing there screaming like these people are shady and into weird dark shit that right. they haven't said. Mm-hmm. Um, R J is an interesting name that hasn't come up yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: R J Cinek is another suspected reason why, and he is the younger brother of Steve and Stephanie. But RJ was working in the bar part of the alley and had allegedly been struggling with some substance misuse. His drug of choice was cocaine. And allegedly he did a lot of dealings there.
1: I was gonna say that's not only a rich man's drug, but if you yeah. take someone's or don't pay for it, uh that's a that's, that's a lot gonna, of debt real fast. You're gonna run a tab. Yup.
0: And so RJ was distant and he came across like very non emotive. And despite interrogations, like, he really never said much. And seven years later, in 1997, RJ died of a drug overdose mm. at just 36 years old.
1: Oh, that's so young.
0: Yeah. And so there was a match that the detectives heard of involving two men who could have matched the profile in sketches. So they fucking went after that. They were like, let's fucking go. Apparently, they matched the sketches, they matched the profile, they were loners, they seemed to be a father and a son duo, and they disappeared right around the time of the crime. Okay. So they were like, check, 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 fucking check.
1: Correct.
0: Um, however, very fucking disappointing, because as they followed up on the lead, they learned that the older man had passed away right before the shootings, which is sad because he passed and also frustrating because they really thought they got it. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> The last thing we're going to talk about, and this is what I hold the most weight into, I don't, I can't say that it is or isn't anything and we'll talk about it, but this is the closest I've gotten to feeling like, okay, this might be an answer. Mm-hmm. Gino, one of the other detectives that was on the lead, the three, talks about a confidential female informant who they're calling Erna. I like it. Um, she said she harbored the two men in their her apartment after they left. Like they fled on foot and then ended up at her apartment. Okay, and she also struggled with substance misuse. Her drugs of choice seemingly narcotics. So she said when the men got there, th- they told her they knew she had that, and she was like, "Okay, come in, like whatever." Um, so she did. These weren't people known to her. No, she didn't know them. Okay, but then she said while they were there, like obviously they heard the helicopters going over out
1: and like yeah. Maybe the blood of seven people on their fucking clothing. but Probably.
0: Okay. Um, and so she says as they heard the helicopters, they were saying, like, we're right under their noses and they don't even know it. And so Ugh. Gino also states that Erna had information that only the shooters would know. But they were hesitant to take the testimony since at the time that she gave it, she seemed under the influence and high. And listen, I I know I do... I get that I can be tough on law enforcement and I know that in a town where this was bigger than their annual homicide rate in one day. Yep. um, It's not going to be second nature. But to this I say for fuck's sake just let her detox and interview her again. Yep. Like instead they set her up with a polygraph and she passed it. Okay. High as a kite. Probably. (laughs) All right. And Rose said that after she cleaned up There was, like, a few months later or something, she said that she lied and made it up and wanted to appear as a quote-unquote heavy in the community so people would, like, respect her or whatever. Okay. Um, to which I say, bro, 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 like, bro. (laughs) She only recounted one time. You don't think it was because she was scared shitless once she sobered up and realized what happened? Mm-hmm. And that these men had no problem shooting a two-year-old square center in the forehead?
1: Like, we don't think that had anything to do with that? Right, that she would be nothing to kill. Yeah. Like, they've already killed four other people. Mm -hmm. What's one more?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, 11 years later, in 2001, she passed of a quote-unquote accidental overdose. And to be honest, I'm not really sure what accidentally has anything to do with it far less common for someone to purposely pass of an overdose but i don't i don't understand why that was thrown in there but apparently saying it's
1: not in a suicide attempt
0: yeah that's fair but i mean they didn't do that for rj so i don't know Hmm. um i did just want to talk about the aftermath because literally that is all we have for suspects (laughs) that's it oh
1: my god yep with how horrible this is it's like we need it
0: oh i know no it's bad and so, and it
1: was just supposed to be bowling.
0: I know. I, I literally looked up solved crimes.
1: Because you didn't want to do this to me?
0: No. And then I okay, did well, it. Okay, well, intent and matters, I'm sorry. so I appreciate it. <laughs> so, Stephanie Sinek, who was the manager and Melissa's mom, lived through the initial shooting. Mm-hmm. But in 1999, she passed away. Um, apparently, with complications of her injuries from that but nobody like i couldn't find released anywhere what the injuries were that complications arose from yeah i don't know but what's really sad was she was only 43 when she passed oh she's so young in the last nine years of her life she was a fucking wreck like she just did not know how to handle it her way of dealing with it apparently was to just like talk about it. So everybody knew who she was. Everybody knew what she had been through. Oh. Melissa says that she used to be really outgoing and then became a total homebody introvert. Awful. And so. Anthony Woods, Amy's stepfather, was super heavy involved in Amy's life. So Amy was the 13 year old mm-hmm. and he dropped her off at the bowling alley. Um <laughs> And in one of the interviews of him, he said he had gone, he had been gone the week before on like a work trip or something. And he had missed her a lot. So he was like, yes, I get to like spend a few minutes in the car, like drive to the alley, see what's going on with her life, what's new. And the interviewer asked if he remembered her last words. And he said when she got out of the car, I said, I love you. And she said, I love you, too so see so yeah he was obviously tearing up when he talks about that and then
1: of it, course it's the last time he saw his
0: fucking kid yeah and involved guy literally like i don't know and so they they talked to him and in the interview they're like you know do, does it ever like bother you or whatever that you were so close or whatever because he had to go and run an errand and then he came back not to the alley but like past the alley to go home right and so he probably drove by while things were happening and had
1: no idea oh my god
0: yeah and gloria uh, amy's mother said that um having to learn to live without your kid is devastating it's got to be one of the toughest damn things anybody has to do and anthony still thinks that if he had just gone in to use the restroom or had to get gas or something he might have seen the men enter he could have described them done something Ooh. Um, but he also says that he's terrified because, in the same breath, he could have just been rounded up with the rest of them. Of course, like I, I don't know what it's like to be in that position. That sounds terrible. And so, we're going to talk about the Turan family. Stephen, Valerie, and Paula um, left many family members with really deep wounds. Um, Anthony, Stephen's brother, talks about how Audrey, again, Stephen's wife and the mother of the kids mourned and just like that morning she got up she got ready for school she dressed the kids she got them ready they probably had like a fucking cup of coffee together kissed hubby goodbye kissed the kids goodbye and that's it then they were just gone um
1: oh that's that's the part that really
0: that afternoon practically she had to look at not just her deceased husband but the new widow had to look at caskets for both of her young children like two and six and Audrey said she didn't feel safe after learning it happened until she saw her dad like between hearing you know wounds at the bowling alley getting there hearing Valerie's at the hospital getting there learning Valerie's past getting home it wasn't until she saw her dad that she was like oh my god I'm okay And I'm just like, that's how those fucking little girls felt about their dad. Like that, that breaks my heart because it's like, you're with the person that makes it okay. You're with
1: the person that protects you. And so
0: Stephen's sister-in-law said that Audrey just kept repeating, they're gone. That's all she said, like that entire day. Mm. And Patricia, who is Stephen's sister, I believe... In this documentary, it said she thinks it must have been the devil to hurt someone so small. Um, she held up. Oh, my gosh. This literally like tore me to pieces. Um, in this interview, she holds up Valerie's bathing suit, like swimsuit. Oh. And it's this like tiny little pink thing with like a ruffle down the side of it. And Audrey talked about how. Stephen's sister made it like just fully oh. made it and gave it to her. And so I think they must've had it on set from like the interviews and they showed it to her. And she was like, this is how small this child's body was. But like she, she made a comment that actually made my heart a little happy and all of this hurt, which was just like, no, 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 this is hers. I'm not going to, I'm never going to take this from her. Like she made this for my daughter. She will keep this. It's hers. Um, and just something worth sharing that I thought was really sweet. Um, valerie was just like steven they were both really reserved and like very serious and their eyes said it all Mm. and paula was like a little freaking hoot and anywhere she went she just like freaking lit up the room again um steven's sister figured out how to make the little cheerleading uniform for the school that audrey was going to and made one for paula and it was like paula's day of her life like when favorite the thing to wear. cheerleaders pulled her down at one of the games. Oh, And Audrey was like, it was literally the time of her life for about 15 minutes until they realized she wasn't insured and they weren't here with her anymore. <laughs> 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 but she like lived it up. Oh. And so she was just like this wild little thing. And Audrey was uh, un- absolutely understandably like, fucking wrecked <laughs> fucking wrecked and Audrey says that she thinks the shooters must have looked right at valerie when they shot her because the bullet entered her forehead smack in the center and left the bottom of her skull so she was looking up at them Aww. um but she also says that she fucking hopes that they see her eyes every day
1: oh my first God. thing when you wake
0: up and i'm like all day. I don't care. Every second of the day.
1: Oh, my. oh, and, and this. A little two-year-old looking up at yeah. you. Uh, with the but body. With the little, like, arms up. And, yeah. like, little hugs. No bigger than my fucking Shut arm. The fuck up.
0: And, I don't know, this family uh. just really gets me. Like, I can't imagine the phone call where you learn you've lost your husband and best friend and life partner and the person that you're making your life with. Mm-hmm. And then in the same fucking breath, you learn that both of your kids are gone, too. And, like, not only are they just these two precious little bundles of joy that you created with the love of your life, but they were the last of what could have been kept alive of his personality and what he was. And it just, like, all of that gone in the same day just, like, really gets me.
1: How is she still going? Strong-ass woman. That's all I got. Just wow and with no peace no closure to know that the animals that did that to her family
0: nothing we we don't even fucking have somewhere. an id
1: like i just hope that it is this the hottest hell that they're in
0: oh i'm i'm sure so naturally this literally affected everybody
1: of course it did
0: every single victim every single member of every victim's family but Also, it had an incredibly profound effect on the town of Las Cruces. Residents throughout the New Mexico state in this area recounted all of the ways in which their life changed after this massacre. So similar to Jacob Wetterling, like, kids weren't out on their bikes anymore. Mm. Parents weren't letting their kids out of their sight. No one felt safe. Nowhere felt safe. And... One interview in the documentary actually stated that the whole town started to suspect fucking each other. Like, yeah, it could be anybody, and it still could be anybody. The only positives that I have would be that still to date, pretty much, the entire massacre that happened in this day was kind of like four times the annual homicide rate (laughs) in this town.
1: Which just makes it worse because it wasn't like this growing trend of like, gang violence or right. organized crime or anything like that it was purely just like it sounds like a hit yep totally random kind. entirely random and either they just like left like fled and did it somewhere else yep i mean my money would have to be like on either leaving the state or leaving the country like yeah. they either went to mexico because it was right there and they could
0: i in my brain actually i think they probably did didn't. I think they probably did eventually, but I think immediately after, I'd go somewhere they weren't expecting.
1: Yeah, true. Like I'd Canada. Go,
0: yeah, north. I don't know. And then whatever. Leave the country. Do whatever you want. But yeah. if you know they're going to canvas down to Mexico because it's an hour and a half drive, Yeah. you know they're going to find out in an hour and a half. I'm not taking that risk.
1: But also, if you're anticipating nobody finding, right, like nobody finding out because you think you've killed everybody, so who's going to call the police? Well, then you've bought yourself some time.
0: That's fair. So, that was the Las Cruces Bowling Alley Massacre. That is horrific. It wrecked my shit. Uh, yep. So, I'm so sorry to do that to you all.
1: Well, we'll keep our ears out and kind of pay attention if something like, you know, there's an update with this case, but it's horrible.
0: It's awful. And I do actually totally recommend watching the documentary. It was like three bucks on YouTube.
1: But we have y- so much fun. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm just, <kidding. laughs> just I'm so sorry. <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, like Ali said,
0: obviously if we hear of anything, we'll keep you guys updated, but the only positives that I have are that Melissa's doing great, Ida's doing great, and um it does seem like the Bowling Alley has fallen into new ownership and is actually being renovated and reopened.
1: Yeah, I think Ron just didn't have the passion for it. Yeah, he was definitely a golfer. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) So definitely uh, hoping that, you know, whoever's running it now is a big Lebowski fan. Yeah. And is uh, obviously not a golfer. So we'll see. But it does seem like life is starting to come back and get closer to what it once was in Mm. Las Cruces.
1: Well, that was horrible. Yeah, I'm so Um, sorry. Are you, though? yeah this glad, fucking sucked i'm <laughs> glad we opened as positive as we did because i needed that yeah but that was really bad
0: no it's really bad wow um and the the whole like 90s filming of the day Ugh, I of know. just like news outlets and all of these places that you can see it and watch it and you're like like it makes me want to like it, it makes me nauseous i'm what, like i can't
1: what time of year was this uh february just but it's just for reference, this was only like four months after Jacob Wetterling was abducted. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is 1990, right? Yeah. And he he went missing in October of... 89. 89. So. Heinous. This is fucking awful. But just that, that season of like, no, I'm not going to let my kids play It's like, no, they mm-hmm. won't ride their bike to the store. No, they won't go bowling with their friends or go to the mall yeah. or go to whatever.
0: Now, I don't know what was in the fucking water at this time, but it was nothing good. That's yeah, that's that's just really bad. Yeah. So <laughs> this made me um innately upset, just like in my entire being. And no, I'm sorry that you are too, but we're in it together now. So
1: Well, I think Melissa's resiliency is literally the reason that there's a glimmer of hope in this. Yeah. And that there's a survivor story at all, let alone for three of them. Yes. Melissa's a fucking badass. Like,
0: total fucking badass. Like, hero material at fucking 12. Like, the- she is a real-life version of what all of the young adult fantasy books are made f- Seriously. of. Seriously. You know? Yeah. Percy Jackson who? I know. Step aside. We got Melissa Scenic on scene. Like There you go. So... Um, I'm so sorry to do that to you all, but if you wanted to see all of these lovely people and the places, and obviously we won't include anything gory or gross, but you can definitely do that on our Instagram. Um, we always put up people places things that we're talking about we always highlight um resources so there will definitely be 988 up and if you go through our actual resources highlight there are some other places for mental health help and stuff like that so we've
1: got a ton of resources on there we've got reprieves we have like memes and just like funny happy things to just like i don't know make your day a little bit better because after all this shit yeah after all this shit and um we've just got a lot of stuff on there but you'll know if you check it out i'm gonna leave some things for the imagination until you get there hell yeah so
0: if you wanted to check that out or send us like a dm with a case request or anything like that you could just look it up at instagram our handle is about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word so that's a b o u t period t i m e period f o r period t r u e period c r i m e period p o d because podcast was too long And if you wanted to send us your thoughts, your um, grievances towards me for putting you through this, (gasps) um, anything else that's longer that you might not want to throw on over social media or maybe you just don't have it, you could definitely email us. But Allie, how would they do that?
1: So you could email us at about time, the number four, TC at gmail.com. So that is. A B O U T T I M E numeric four T C at gmail dot com and if all of that was just too long for you and it can be weak at it, just scroll on down in the show notes. Everything's there. You can copy and paste it. Hell
0: yeah! I might have twenty twenty hearing, but I have very dyslexic ears. So <laughs> hearing, yep. Yeah. There's like a. What is it? I think it's West Side Story. One of the kids gets talked to, and whoever it is is like, "Did you hear me?" And he goes, "Well, yeah, I got 2020 hearing." Oh my god! And it like lives rent free in my brain. I'm just <laughs> like, "Yeah, I got 2020 hearing." Um, oh my god! But yes, yeah, so we do always put it in the show notes as well as our sources, so you can see all of mine. I did watch a documentary on it with lots of interviews, but I also got plenty of information from CNN, the La Cruza Sun, Sun, um, CBS Toronto Sun. All sorts of places. So check it out yourself. Read up on it. See if I did a good job. If you liked it, and if you don't want to spend any more time on this horrid, horrid, gut wrenching case, then please go look at our reprieves on Instagram.
1: And please, you know, listen to other horrid, horrid, gut wrenching episodes of ours because we've got a nice little catalog for you—over fifty. We
0: do. Um, and hey, just a reminder that uh, and
1: and red bubble stickers.
0: Red bubble stickers. Oh my gosh! Thank you for reading my mind.
1: Yeah, red bubble stickers. If you go stickers on Red
0: our little user is ATFTC Pod. One word. One word. Um, and so we have a few designs up now, but if you go to the collections, you can see some other things up there. So we have stickers, of course, but we also have like pet bandanas and little notebooks and like mugs. So check it out. See what you like. Let us know if you are looking for anything. Also, let us know. Again, we got that Insta and that email open, baby. Heck yeah. So love you guys so much can't wait to see it in our dms slide right in oh yeah but for now appropriately appropriately but we will
1: see you in our next episode because if i look at my watch that was
0: about about time time for for true crime.
1: crime bye bye i'm sorry seriously